What's up? Welcome to another episode of Vet School Unleashed, Dissecting the DVM, where we dissect topics and issues relating to life in veterinary school. I'm your host, Seth Williams, and I'm a veterinary student at the University of Missouri College of Veterinary Medicine. Today, we're going to gear this episode for the pre-vet students and students that are in the midst of the current application process. We know how stressful the application process can be and, and how many moving parts there are to stay on top of, the application, shadowing, the interview, and choosing the right school to attend. So today's episode is going to try to address some of your questions and concerns and hopefully provide you some tools and knowledge that will make you even more successful throughout the process. I'm very excited that we've got an expert on the topic with us today. So let me introduce our special guest for today's podcast, Dr. Linda Barrent. Dr. Barrent received her DVM and PhD degrees from the University of Illinois and is a board-certified veterinary pathologist. Currently, Dr. Barrent is the Dean of Academic Affairs and a clinical instructor at the University of Missouri College of Veterinary Medicine. Dr. Barrent plays an integral role in Missouri's in Mizzou's interview process by sitting in on each interview to oversee the process. Dr. Brent does not evaluate the applicants during the the process, so we're going to be able to get some really great unbiased advice today. With that being said, I should put a disclaimer out there that uh, what we'll talk about today is mostly based off of Dr. Brent's experience at Mizzou, so we can't exactly speak to other veterinary schools in the country, but hopefully what you'll hear today will apply generally uh, across the board. Well, welcome to the podcast, Dr. Brent. How's it going? It's going well. Glad Good. to be here. I'm so glad you were able to uh, join me and help other pre-vet students and applicants to vet school kind of find their way towards the interview process. I'm happy to be here. Cool. Great. Well, let's get started. So I got a lot of these questions off of um, the pre-vet uh, AVMA Facebook page, uh, just from other, talking to other uh, vet school applicants, those are that are uh, going to be coming into the interview process pretty soon, or maybe some of them have even interviewed at some schools. Um, so that's where some of these questions are coming from, and some that I had just thought of that I would have liked to know um, when I was interviewing. So the first question that I have is, um, you know, staying up on current issues in veterinary medicine. I know that being uh, not a veterinarian or not even in a veterinary school it can be sometimes hard to find credible sources. So what are your recommendations in terms of finding out what's really going on um, and maybe sifting through some of the the uh, the fake news, if you will, which I know is a hot yeah. topic now. So I would, I would stay off of most of the social media sites for, for fake news um, because you never know where they're coming from. I think some of the, the credible sources would be the AVMA site, so AVMA and the news. They're going to be up to date on what they feel veterinarians are interested in. DVM 360 is also an open source news magazine that you can get into. The other recommendation would be if you're shadowing with a veterinarian or no veterinarians, ask them what they're interested or what they're concerned about. Mm -hmm. And that's probably going to be recent news events. Okay. And do you know, I mean, obviously with your experience at Mizzou um, and not so much other schools, but is it more of a thing that interviewers will try to find out how much you know, or is it something that you may want to bring up on your own as an, as an applicant. I think it depends on how the structure of the interview is. So at Mizzou, we do more of a conversational interview. It's, it's back and forth, talking about things. Um, generally, we're more interested in how you answer a question than what you actually answer. Mm-hmm. So it's important to be genuine, 
to admit when you don't know something, but not to show off. We can always tell when you're trying to show off. Right. But we want to know, if we, if we ask something about current events, we want to know that you're not just living in your books, that you're not just a study machine, that you have some more access to the outside world. Right. So, yeah, and you brought up another good point, too, which was another question I was going to ask, is like, um, if you don't know the answer to something, and whether or not you're embarrassed or you're like, oh, darn, I should definitely know that. I mean, what do you do? Um, again, keep your composure. And so, so one of the keys is odds are you do know the answer. You just don't know it at that moment because your mind has left you because mm-hmm. you're really nervous. And that's really common. And everyone who does interviews recognizes that. So you, you have this moment, you're like, I know this answer. What should I say? So some people just basically either try to answer it or they'll rephrase the question into a question that they actually know the answer to and answer Mm -hmm. that one. So we recognize people are doing that. Or they just say, I'm sorry, I'm I'm drawing a blank. I'm sure it'll come to me, but can we move on? Right. Another piece of advice that I got on that when I was interviewing was that like you said, it's okay to admit you don't know it, but then to say something, you know, obviously with it, be, hopefully it's true that, you know, it's interesting. I'm going to go find that answer later or right. something like that. Yeah. I'll go look that up. That's really cool. Or, and then say, do you recommend any sources mm. that I can look that up at? That's a good one. So, okay, cool. Um, so, um, I guess we're all on the topic of kind of the conversational piece of the interview. Uh, I know one of the big worries with the interviewees is what to ask the interviewer when that t- part of the interview comes Yeah, and what to ask and how to ask. And, uh, well, I mean, most, most of the conversational type interviews will say, you know, do you have any questions for the committee? I know I always end with that just because a lot of people do have questions. Mm-hmm. It's okay to say, nope, you know, I think they answered all my questions on the tour or something like that. There's no need to fill the silence mm-hmm. unless you actually have an, and interest. Uh, a lot of the common questions people ask are what drew you to, to Mizzou or what drew you to this place that you're working. Some people say, you know, what what makes Mizzou stand out mm-hmm. or, you know, what makes that your particular college stand out. So they're asking us to then sell our program to them, mm-hmm. which is valid because every interview, it, it's really two ways. And students have to remember that is that Many students have choices of where they go. So our interviews are to find out about the student to see if they're a good fit for Mizzou, and the student needs to find out whether Mizzou is a good fit for them. Right. So it's almost like a two-way interview in some uh, In some, some ways. Cases. Yeah. In some ways. With a, with a definite skewing of the power structure, though. Right. Right. <laughs> right. So. But it is a good way to get to know at least a, a very small glimpse into what the the uh, the culture's like and what the some of the professors may be like at the school. Right. It could be a good way to, right. to find out about that. Um, okay, so uh, unrelated, uh, next question. So, uh, you know, in terms of grades and the importance of that, which obviously they're very important, at least when getting into veterinary school, um, for, for those of us that have had a bad semester in the past, um, and the cause of that bad semester was due to some, uh, you know, personal issues, be it at home, be it with health, be it, you know, parents, what have you. Um, is that, how do you address that in the interview? You know, if, if, if that did happen in your life 
is it a I don't want to say is it a good excuse for the bad grade because there's there's really you know it's hard to say what's a good or bad excuse but you know how do you address that in the interview I would say address it if they bring it up mm-hmm. don't don't bring it up yourself because they can some interviews don't have your transcript so we at Mizzou will have the full packet we've read your your full Vimcast and supplemental application in some interviews at some locations the people asking you the questions do not have access right. to your grades. So my, my say, we, we will address it in our interviews. If we see an, an, an abnormality, mm-hmm. something that's like, oh, going along, going along, you have a whole semester of W's. What happened there? Right. You know, and I'll just say, you know, what happened there? And, and usually it's something like, I got mono during the second week, so I withdrew. Or my parents decided to get a divorce. You know, it's amazing the, the things your parents and family can do to really mess up your life, even when right. you're in your 20s. So all those, I'd say, have your explanation, you know, ready mm-hmm. for that type of thing. Show some level of, if you did have a personal issue, it's nice to see some personal growth of what mm-hmm. you learned from that experience. Say, say you went through something very personal. You don't really have to bring that to the committee if it was something fairly traumatic because we've had that happen too where people mm-hmm. um, disclose something that is very personal and then it's a little awkward because the committee doesn't really know what to do with that information. Right. But if they say, you know, I had a, a relationship that ended and it was very traumatic, but I learned from this and I learned how to get the help I needed. And I know that if that happens again, I have my resources I need. Mm-hmm. That's a good thing. We want to see some sort of personal growth from these type of situations. Gotcha. So that we know as a committee, if this happens again, because life definitely happens during vet school, you know, the outside right. world does not shut off, that the student will be able to effectively reach out for help when they need it. Because mm-hmm. there's help available. But right. the students we see that struggle in vet school are the ones who are reluctant to reach out for help. Gotcha. Okay, that makes sense. That's great. Um, similar to, you know, personal issues and, and, and things that can stress us out, uh, as we you had mentioned before, going into an interview can be quite stressful. Um, I remember mine like it was yesterday, and it was not a fun experience waiting. Um, how or what are your recommendations for lowering that stress level and trying to just keep your cool, you know, before you go in there, just so that you can make sure you're the, the person you really are and you're not the, uh, you know what I mean? You're the not... little ball of nerves. Correct. Yeah. yeah. So so we definitely see lots of balls of nerves where they're really, you know, stressed out and we can watch the red creep up, mm-hmm. you know, their neck and into their face and they flush and that's okay. We understand that's a physiologic response. We've all been there. I would say practice with someone. Mm-hmm and sort of anticipate what questions might be asked. And I've seen, I'm on Student Doctor Network and I'm on the Facebook page for the AP VMA. And that is a lot of good information. Like I looked at the Student Doctor Network for our school and I'm like, yep, those are questions that were asked. Mm-hmm. So you know at least some of the questions and the format of the interview before you go in. So knowing what to expect is helpful. So do your research. Do your research. Right. Just like anything, you want to plan ahead. Gotcha. And then if you can do anything just for the rest of your life to control stress and anxiety, you know, get into good personal habits as well. Right. Some people do meditation. Some people do yoga. Some people exercise. Again, those are all things you're going to need in vet school. So start early and find out what helps you deal with stress and anxiety. Gotcha. 
Cool. Um, all right. So another topic, uh, social media. So we were talking about this a little bit before we started recording um, about etiquette in, in general. And what we realized is that there's really no um, division between social media etiquette for a person not in vet med versus a person that is applying to vet school or that's in vet school. It, it, there is a umbrella, a standard umbrella of, of etiquette uh, regarding social media. So do you have any recommendations for what um, anyone, but I guess, you know, obviously specifically in this case, what um, applicants to vet school should or shouldn't be doing in regard to their social media presence and, and how to keep it safe, but, but influential if they want it to be? I think you have to remember that, you know, we're in a very small profession. And so, you're posting on things like the Student Doctor Network and you're posting on things like Facebook or Instagram or whatever it is that you're using, you realize that we have Twitter accounts too. We mm-hmm. have we are on Facebook, we are on Student Doctor Network. So if we see someone behaving in a non professional way, whether they are bad mouthing their employer, whether they're saying, you know, they're skipping class to go party or something like that. We're on there too, mm-hmm. you know, and we, we'll make note of that. It's not our policy to go searching applicants' Facebook pages. Mm-hmm. But if I'm on Student Doctor Network and I see someone say, hey, I've got an interview at Mizzou at 9 o'clock on Sunday, I immediately know who you are, even if you have a different name on right. your Student Doctor Network right. because I have that information. And if they say something bad about my staff or they mm-hmm. say something that is rude or inappropriate, we'll take that into consideration. Just like we'll take into consideration oversharing. Mm-hmm. It's it's okay to share and it's okay to tell things, whether it's in your vet school application packet, in your essay, but you have to really remember your what generation you're talking to and what is appropriate to share and not appropriate to share. Right. Okay, so another, uh, I think one of the staples of most veterinary uh, school interviews and in, in Again, I'm just coming from the ones that I did, and I did a few. Um, but I always got asked, what are your thoughts on animal rights versus animal welfare? And I wanted to get your thoughts on you know, what you think about that in terms of answers you've gotten, things to maybe avoid saying, or um, maybe the best ways to approach the, the question. I think one of the best ways to approach that type of question is to actually know the definitions mm-hmm. because there are very um, well-defined definitions of both animal rights and animal welfare. Some people have taken whole classes on this, and they mm-hmm. give very good, thoughtful answers on the, the ethics of animal ownership. It's the people who make up their own definitions that seem to stumble more. Mm-hmm. So really understanding both sides of the issue and understanding the definitions of each is probably going to be helpful and give you a better response to that question. Right. So most people who ask the question want to know that you understand where some of the more militant animal rights people stand on the issues, which mm-hmm. is that there shouldn't be pet ownership. So that's like the, the, the extreme. Right. So if you understand that, then you understand that they probably don't want veterinarians either because right. they don't want our food animals to be taken care of because we shouldn't be eating them. Right. So it's sort of an important thing to understand where the extremes are mm-hmm. because there's a, 
a, a spectrum of beliefs all throughout the faculty and all throughout the students. Like we are definitely not all uh, on the same page, mm -hmm. but we are all firmly on animal welfare because right. that is that is treating animals humanely and whatever you're using them for. Right. So I think it's important that people understand the the definitions of each and mm -hmm. how the extreme side of the animal rights can really be uh, difficult for veterinarians to deal with. Gotcha. Do you think it's important to uh, further research the the relationship between those groups that you were speaking of and how they um, how they relate with the veterinary community? I think that's very important because some people just take their, the Facebook pages of some of these groups at face value that say they are uh, for rehoming, say, research animals mm -hmm. when they're really just collecting money right. from naive individuals. And so knowing the background of organizations and then presenting that to the committee, if, if say, they're some people will put on their applications that they are members of certain types of humane societies, mm -hmm. but they will have names that, that make you wonder whether they're an animal rights organization. Gotcha. And so it's important for students to understand the organizations that they're dealing with, who's running those organizations, what the background is, and if there's any suggestion that they are part of like militant terrorists, which some of them are, right. that they at least go in that with the full understanding. Gotcha. Because you're not, when you're applying to vet school, you're generally, you know, have to move beyond the teenage infatuation with, you know, saving puppies to the realistic take, right. taking care of them as a veterinarian. Right, right. That's a great point. Okay, so uh, a lighter topic, <laughs> but, that, but that was great. That was a great, um, great insight on that. Um, question that I had not given you before, but I just thought of, um, because I was running the same thing when I was um, applying. Um, I am a big advocate for handwritten thank you notes after meeting with somebody. Um, and I always try to do that. I think it, it leaves a really great impression, and it's, um, I think it's a classy thing to do. When I was applying, I was researching that practice with interviews. And I'm not going to divulge what I found because I want to I hear your thoughts first. But what are your thoughts about that? Have you received thank you notes? What is the – is there a proper etiquette towards that? I have received a few thank you notes. We actually put in there in our invitation and in our instructions that there's no need to, to write thank you notes. We have a relatively large committee. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, for me to distribute a thank you note or write thank you notes to everyone that they've met is is unnecessary. Mm -hmm. Um, so I actually don't necessarily share the thank you notes with everyone on the committee when I get them. Mm -hmm. And the thank you notes are usually written to me or to Kathy, and it makes us feel great. We don't score your applications, so it, it neither helps you nor hurts, nor hurts you. Gotcha. And that's probably true of any thank you note that gets written and, and sent to a central location. Right. With regard to it maybe playing a role into the evaluation process, like, let's say that I sent – uh, a letter to one of the community veterinarians that were on my, my interview panel. Are, by the time they receive that note, do you think that the evaluations have already been completed? Um, do you think that the note could have could sway them one way or the other? I, I doubt the note will sway anything because 
most evaluations are done very rapidly, mm -hmm. the scoring process, because you're doing so many applications. If you wait to score them, even for a week, you're going to forget who you right. talk to. So right. the scoring is probably already done by the time you get home from your interview. Gotcha. At least at Mizzou, we actually do a two-phase scoring. They've scored you partially for based on your written application before you come in. And then the interview is fairly short, and it just clarifies things to refine that score. Right. So the scoring is pretty much done by the time you walk out the room. Okay. That said, if you're writing a thank you note to a community veterinarian, some of those veterinarians are giving their time for free, mm -hmm. and it probably makes them feel very good about giving their time. So as a, a community, I would say that would be a great thing is right. to send that to them. And you might go to that veterinarian then as a preceptorship or an intern later in vet school. Right. Maybe they'll recall you. Mm -hmm. so, so what I'm getting is that just being a a decent human and you know having good etiquette it's a good thing to do but don't do it if you think it's going to make any impact on your application yeah it's not going to impact your application but it's I mean gonna make you feel better it's gonna make, make you feel, feel better. better whoever receives it is gonna get a nice little little happy glow but right. it's not gonna affect your chances to get into vet school okay it just builds you karma points good to know uh, going back on a topic we had discussed earlier about prepping um, and and current events um, obviously, that's one major way to prep for the interview. Is there any other things that you would recommend students do before they go into their interview to prep? A uh, thing that off the, top, off the top of my mind would be to reread your application because any of that is going to be fair game, obviously. Um, in, in the type of schools that do a holistic interview and really concentrate on your application, that's absolutely true. Know mm -hmm. what you wrote in your application, particularly if you listed – uh, activities that you did. Maybe even some people go all the way back to high school and list activities. Mm -hmm. We have committee members that say, wow, you know, I was a Boy Scout too. And they'll start asking you about, you know, your Boy Scout experiences or something like that. You should remember that you went to, you know, the different camps and that type of thing. Or if you, you have a blank look on your face when they're asking you about something that's on your own application, that probably doesn't look good. Right. As far as the day of, have someone check out your outfit and make sure it looks good sitting and standing mm -hmm. and that you can actually walk in those shoes. They may right. look really cute, but if you look like a newborn foal, it's not very professional. Right. Um, have can, someone, I just, can I ask you that uh, yeah. in terms of dress code? Because I'm an ambassador at Mizzou as well, and I've seen quite a, uh, an array of attire. Not, not commonly, but there's always one or two people every interview weekend that are not dressed like everybody else um and i don't know what how that played uh, played a role into their evaluation but what is your recommendation in terms of dress i would say at least business casual mm -hmm. um depending on again the time of year and where you're going i've seen everything if we're, if we're talking i think quite frankly men have it easier mm -hmm. because they've got they can always just go for a suit and tie mm -hmm. i say that's the that's the most formal i've seen I've seen many people that are in khakis and a button-down shirt mm -hmm. would be probably the least casual. Except, of course, if you can pull it off and it is – if you're one of the um, farm slash rodeo people, if you've got your pressed jeans and your big belt buckle and, and mm -hmm. the good boots, people pull that off too. Right. So it all depends on if that's genuine. Got it. Okay? Mm -hmm. For the women, I think it's actually more difficult – to find that right mix of professionalism 
You know, because you can certainly come in, I mean, definitely you can come in in khakis and a button-down shirt. Right. That's absolutely okay. Where you get into trouble is that some women, uh, they, they get too much into the club-type look versus the per, versus the office-type look okay. in their clothes. So, mm-hmm. I mean, I think that's something to be aware of. Got it. Good. Good to know. All right. So, a question that I got a lot uh, of via social media and, and just talking to other friends is about the culture of the interview room and uh, the fact that a lot of people, I believe, go in thinking it's going to be some crazy, difficult interrogation. It's, you know, dark red lights and fire coming from the walls, you know, just more reason to get freaked out about what it's going to be. What I found in all of my interviews um, and really every single one that I did, and again, I didn't do a whole lot, I did a handful, um, is that it was the complete opposite of what people think it's going to be. It is very um, much a, more of a get-to-know-you session and, and answer any questions that they have that uh, may stand out on your application. But I want to get your thoughts on kind of advice or maybe putting some some people's minds at ease about what it really is like. And I know that you can only speak to the Mizzou interview process, but... Um, like I said, my my interview at Mizzou was um, very similar to interviews at, at the other schools that I applied to. Yeah, so there's there's a couple different types of interviews, and we have one of the more conversational ones, where it is really just get to know you. We understand people are nervous. We have all been there. Mm-hmm. Even though it may have been several years ago, we all remember that terrified feeling of going into an interview. So no one's out there to get you. Mm-hmm. We're there just to clarify the application, to answer questions for the applicant, and really give them an idea of what Mizzou is like and get an idea of what they are like mm-hmm. to see if we can be a good fit. So if you come across a question that maybe feels like, oh, my gosh, they're testing me, mm-hmm. it's really probably testing of how you answer things. Can you keep your composure? Mm-hmm. If you listed... 5,000 hours of shadowing with a vet, they may ask you something related to what a veterinarian does or Mm -hmm. what vaccinations you would give a puppy. Because if you were there for 5,000 hours, perhaps you would have seen that. And so answer it as well as you can. Right. But it's it's really, there's no one I have been on the the committee with, and some of them are quite, are are interesting characters Mm -hmm. by by all means. No one has the, I'm going to get you attitude. Right. That's just not what we do. So that's how a conversational interview goes. There's other places that do like the multiple mini interviews mm-hmm. where there's not a lot of feedback from the interviewer. You're presented a scenario, you give an answer, but there's no back and forth and clarification because right. that's how those go. So if you're at one of those places, I recommend that you you know, read up on those type of interviews because mm-hmm. they're definitely different. Right. And like what you said before, maybe practice before you go in. Find someone that um, is able to uh, give you a mock interview. Practice, but be genuine. Right. Like don't try to game the interview and say, oh, what are they looking for in this instance? Mm -hmm. Just be genuine and answer like you would answer in in a really truthful way. Right. And a a piece of advice that I would give from the the student perspective, which I found – helps in, in cases where, like, you're waiting outside of a, a room before you take a test, uh, is that I found that, again, very common, I would imagine, is that if you're nervous 
people around you are going to be nervous as well. And if you're waiting in, say, a waiting room at a school before you go into an interview and the person next to you is just totally freaking out, chances are it's going to make you freak out a little bit more as well. Um, I have fa- I found that during the interview process, and I find that, um, again, during uh, test time as well. If they're you know, going over facts out loud, it just makes me uh, very uneasy. So I would say if you're in a situation like that, maybe take a step out and go for a walk or something. Um, do what you need to do to... To calm down because, uh, you Try know. to find your happy place. Exactly. Before we enter the interview room, I always walk everyone back and we stop before the door and we take a deep breath together. Mm-hmm. So it's just like, take a deep breath. Are you ready? Let's go in. Right. Everyone's on the same team. We are. Right. Because in four years or four and a half, you're going to be colleagues. You're going to be right. our referring veterinarians who send cases to our clinic. Right. And that starts day one. Right. Great. Okay, so last question to tie it all off. Um, now talking beyond the interview process, once it's all said and done, uh, and that stress of, of, of being interviewed is over, um, and you get a few acceptances in the mail, which is great. But then comes another hard, uh, hard thing to tackle about where do you go to school? So um, any recommendations in terms of how to choose and you know, if there's uh, two or three schools that are you know, coming down um, to the wire and, and you need to make a decision, what what are the criteria you Boy, that, that's recommend? A, that's a great dilemma to have, isn't it? Right, um, right. So I would say, given the state of today's finances, if you get into your home state school and it's the cheapest option, mm-hmm. you're going to get a good education at any of the vet schools in the United States. Right. Even the, or, or the Caribbean. Right. The, I had very good students from Ross and St. George as well. Mm-hmm. So look at a couple factors. I think the first one on my list would be finances. Go to the school where you're going to end up with the least amount of debt. That may be an out-of-state school in some cases Mm -hmm. because some in-state schools have really high tuition. Look at, there's, I I believe, four schools that allow you to become in-state after one year. Mm -hmm. Missouri is one of them. Right. I don't know the others off the top of my head. So, but that's a good thing to research. But it's a good thing to research of what is your total debt burden going to be? What is the cost of living in each of those locations? Mm-hmm. Factor in the cost of travel home for vacations. Some people, it is better for them to be closer to home even if they're paying a little bit more out of pocket mm-hmm. because then they're closer if their family needs them. And that's huge. So if you're thought about finances, you've thought about your family situation and the location, then also think about the curriculum then. Mm -hmm. Because we'll all give you a good education, but sometimes you're going to have more clinical experiences and more hands-on experience at some schools. Some schools are going to be faster paced than other schools. Mm -hmm. So research that as well and know what kind of learner you are and does that school choice make sense for you. so uh, along with choosing a vet school with those great set, that great set of criteria, um, what are your thoughts on these national rankings that we see coming out in the news? And I, th- I think there's only one or two of them, but uh, the rankings of the veterinary schools in the United States. I know that um, there is some debate on how, um, how legitimate that list is. What, what are your thoughts or what do you know coming from the, the academic side I think you have to look at some of those ranking systems in the context that they're provided in and, and how they get their data. Mm-hmm. 
it's important to remember that if you're going to an accredited veterinary school, we all have to live up to the same standards, and we all have to meet the benchmarks of boards passing Mm -hmm. and to provide the education. All the vet schools in the United States are members of the AAVMC, the American Association of Veterinary Medical Colleges. Their position statement is that they do not endorse any of these third-party ranking systems, Mm -hmm. in part because they're based on variables that may or may not be related to the actual educational experience. So they may be based on how much research funding a college has. It may be based on how much state funding a college has. It may be based on the number of faculty a college has. Those may be peripherally associated with some of the educational experiences, mm-hmm. but they're not direct factors. Okay. And they're also generally, if you look back on some of them, they're based on questionnaires sent out to the heads of the various vet schools and have them rank each other. Mm-hmm. So it's some of them are just questionnaire-based of, no, 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 you're the best. No, right. no, 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 you're the best. Right. And so it's not necessarily a reflection of the best education. So I would take them with a grain of salt and okay. use those other factors we discussed in choosing your vet school. Got it. So don't, don't put that into the, the top list of your choosing criteria. Correct. Their national ranking. Correct. Okay, good to know. All right. Well, that's going to wrap it up. Um, I hope you had as much fun, Dr. Brent, as I did. Um, I, I must say that uh, we're in the same room that I interviewed in for Mizzou, and I think I'm in actually in the same seat. So now it's fun that I'm interviewing Dr. Brent. My, my, how the tables have turned. <laughs> Thank you, Seth. Yeah. This was actually a little intimidating, but, you know, I, I think I may pass. I think you did. It was great. <laughs> no, I, I think that, uh, yeah, the advice you gave is going to be um, – a really great help uh, for for the students that are, uh, I think, coming up on, on interview season. I know it's already started, but I know it's coming up, uh, you know, after the new year. So, uh, so thank you very much again. You're welcome. Once more, I'd like to say a huge thank you to Dr. Linda Barrent for spending some time with us today to share her insight and advice on veterinary school interviews and on the application process in general. I hope you were able to take away some new knowledge and tools to use as you enter the upcoming interview season. We will list uh, the links to resources that we talked about today on the Vet School Unleashed website. And of course, thank you so much for listening to the Vet School Unleashed podcast. For resources and more information about the podcast, be sure to check us out online at www.vetschoolunleashed.com or find us on Twitter or Facebook. You can also feel free to reach out to me via Twitter or email me at seth at vetschoolunleashed.com. I'd love to hear any suggestions or topics that you'd like to hear about, or uh, you can even reach out to me if you'd want to be on the podcast yourself and share some insight of your own. So thank you again, and we will talk to you next time on Vet School Unleashed, Dissecting the DVM. DVM.